technology is undoubtedly the best thing that has happened to mankind. Laptops, tablets, wearables, gaming consoles, music players and the endless list of smart devices have become so integral to making our lives easy and exciting. But do we get to see tech from the maker's perspective? In this podcast, we will be looking at all the technology news and discuss how the makers of tech are trying to vie for a spot in our ever-increasing technology ammunition. I am Bharatwaj and this is Tech Talk Weekly. Hello everybody and welcome to the third episode of Tech Talk Weekly. This episode is being recorded on the 9th of August and we'll be looking at the most exciting technology news that grabbed our attention last week. So here's all the news lined up for this episode. Samsung takes the wraps off the Note 20 and Note 20 Ultra starting at $1000 going all the way up to $1400. Has Samsung priced itself out of contention? Sony unveils the WH-1000XM4 headphones with improved noise cancellation and dual device pairing. While the device is indeed excellent, has Sony lost the plot with an untimely launch? Google Pixel 4a is among the best-selling smartphone on Amazon and Best Buy as the pandemic pushes more consumers towards value flagships. But why haven't smartphone brands other than Apple, Google and OnePlus course-corrected post-pandemic? TMSC has taken Qualcomm's 5 nanometer chip orders away from Samsung. Is Qualcomm looking to use the pandemic to reduce its reliance on Samsung, who is both a partner and a competitor? With mounting pressure from the US government, it is reported that TikTok could be acquired by Microsoft. But does this align with the Redmond Giant's technology business? So Samsung launched their Note 20 and Note 20 Ultra among other devices during their unpacked event. Um, Like we saw in the rumor roundup last week, um, they launched a couple of tablets, an active noise cancellation true wireless earphone, a foldable device, uh, a smartwatch and a notebook. Um, But the most important device for Samsung that is supposed to boost its cash flows for the second half of the year is of course the Note 20. So uh, for folks who don't know the history of the Galaxy Note, it was Samsung's experiment to launch an oversized device with a stylus to actually test the market. So um, again, this was a pure experiment that they ran. Um, Their primary flagship was of course the Galaxy S. And when they launched the Note uh, and to Samsung and the rest of the industry's surprise, the Note was extremely well received and it also challenged the conventional belief that a stylus was a legacy accessory and most importantly the fact that consumers were looking for compact devices no bigger than 4 inches. In fact the late Steve Jobs had once said that a smartphone needs to be compact and pocketable and it should be no bigger than 4 inches and today the smallest iPhone sports a 5.4 inch screen so that's how far we've come in the last decade. So the Note series helped create a phablet segment, which is basically a segment which brings a phone in an almost tablet-like form factor. Uh, While Dell was the first company to introduce a phablet to the market with the Dell Streak, uh, Samsung was the first to launch a commercially successful phablet and, and today the Note series continues to stay uncontested in the segment that it caters to. Uh, Now coming to the Note 20 siblings, um, while they look fabulous, I think that Samsung has quite frankly priced themselves out of the market and um, let me break it down and tell you why I feel so. I mean, 
the Note 20, which is the cheaper of the Note 20 siblings, is priced at about a thousand dollars. And while it's being priced at a at an exorbitant thousand dollars, it makes so many sacrifices that it practically challenges the buyers to go for it despite these shortcomings. Um, again, what's what really put me off is at thousand dollars, Samsung is offering a plastic device, a full HD display with a lower refresh rate comes with 8 gigabytes of ram which is okay but it's got non-expandable storage of 256 gigabytes and there are probably many more sacrifices other than these and in fact samsung has given us way more reasons to pass up the note 20 and this is this is more so because the galaxy s20 which was launched earlier in the year comes with the exact same internals it has a high resolution and high refresh rate display it comes with 12 gigabytes of ram it has 128 gigabytes of expandable storage it has got a premium aluminum and glass construction and add to that it can be picked at about 750 dollars in the market um, now why would somebody go ahead and spend a thousand dollars to buy a device that has so many compromises now that that was the note 20 story now let's look at the note 20 ultra um, again it's a fantastic device no doubt about it it's got great internals great cameras everything is awesome but it is priced at about 1300 dollars again the industry's reasoning for this would be that the component prices have gone up the local taxes in certain countries are very high the labor costs are going up but let me tell you one thing if you were to go back and look at smartphone profits you'll see that they're still growing right so my question is if people are holding on to smartphones longer some a claim that most companies make and budget offerings are really challenging uh, the existence of flagships or even purchasing one uh, for that matter um, and there are fewer flagships that are being sold again something that most of the manufacturers keep telling us but how is it that the profits continue to go up right i mean uh, if, if you just take a look at what's happening around it the math's pretty simple um, i as a company can make up for lost sales by marking up the flagships much higher than they should be so that i can earn a greater margin um, end up selling the same number of devices or fewer devices but still making similar or higher profits so it, it is very simple to understand the rationale behind these prices which continue to keep going up but i think during the pandemic it's really crazy to expect people to shell out as much money uh, at a time when people are trying to really um, cut their expenses and try for economical means of livelihood so this really doesn't make sense in the broader scheme of things and it makes it all the more ridiculous in countries outside of north america where samsung sells an inferior chipset says a country like india um, wherein you're paying more for a substandard device it's not the best in the market it comes with even more compromises than what your western counterparts get so why is it that you would end up paying a thousand dollars or even more in the india context so would we see um, would we end up seeing flagship prices drop anytime in the near future i think i i certainly believe it won't um, because this in some ways is creating a cartel uh, a cartel where all the top brands price their flagships above the thousand dollar mark so that you are getting consumers to pay as much for these flagships so with uh, foldables expected to take the spot of novelty focused overpriced devices i'm 
I'm really intrigued to see how long companies can get away uh, with these pricing strategies. Again, in the context of the Note 20, I'm sure that it will fail at its current launch prices, but I'm also certain that once the iPhone launches and come holiday season, Samsung will come up with great deals to lure customers away from buying an iPhone. So um, that's where it all stands at this point in time. But I, for one, am very disappointed with this trend. But I'm sure uh, consumers will start voting with their wallets very, very soon. Last week, Sony launched the fourth edition of their active noise cancellation headphone, the Sony WH-1000XM4 at a price of $350. For folks who aren't aware, active noise cancellation headphones have a dedicated ANC chip which senses the ambient background noise and emits similar frequencies to block them from intervening with your wrestling experience. So there were essentially two brands who have dominated this space, one being Bose with their QC35s and of course Sony with their WH-1000XM series. So in the latest edition, uh, Sony retains the design of its predecessor, but they've made a whole host of meaningful upgrades at the internals. Uh, one of the more important ones being um, they've introduced a new Bluetooth system on chip that senses noise at over 700 times per second for more effective noise cancellation. Of course, Sony has also bundled their patented Edge AI DSEE Extreme engine to rebuild audio loss during digital compression for a full fidelity experience. Um, Sony's new headphones also bring in its famed 360 reality audio for more immersive sound experience when paired with a smartphone. Um, there's also a new feature called Speak to Chat that automatically pauses the music playback and allows the ambient sound as soon as the speakers say something, um, letting them have a conversation and ensure that they're not entirely isolated from the rest of the world. Of course, they also bring in few other features from their predecessor, such as the quick attention feature, where uh, which can be activated by putting your right hand on uh, the uh, ear cup to decrease the volume and let the ambient sound in to really um, get a sense of what's happening around you, as well as uh, if you intend to have a conversation with somebody sitting next to you. Uh, again, as always, Sony is offering both Google Assistant and Amazon Alexa as which are digital assistants on board. Um, I think the more important differentiating feature of this year's edition is multi-device pairing which allows the headphones to be connected to two smartphones at once and automatically pick the right device that is ringing and users also get a one-tap device switching convenience. Uh, I think this is an extremely beneficial feature uh, when you have two smartphones. Um, again, I'm not a big fan of holding the smartphone against the ear, especially during long calls. So. I have two pairs of uh, Bluetooth devices that are connected to my uh, one connected to my official device and other to my personal device and it gets really annoying to keep swapping earphones when you have to pick calls from either device uh, hence uh, the uh, multi pair uh, multi device pairing makes the experience all the more convenient um, so something that the fans of Sony have been asking for for a very long time and it's nice to see Sony introducing that with the XM4s uh, again, as has been the case with the past iteration, it boasts of uh, 30 hours battery life 
It comes with rapid fast charging that provides 5 hours of playback for a quick 10 minute charge. So all's good with this device. The pricing has remained consistent since the first edition was launched. Um, they have one of the most important feature in multi-device pairing now introduced with this fourth iteration. Uh, but despite the product being great, um, I think the launch time frame isn't uh, very, very favorable for the brand. Um, again, the ANC headphones are targeted primarily at frequent flyers who really want to drown the aircraft's engine noise while they can enjoy the content on the move. And these headphones are usually picked up at international airports and with traveling almost reduced to zero and with most flights not being operational, I'm not sure um, how well they'll sell. And since these headphones are tuned in a particular way, they'll really not appeal to audiophiles um, who essentially look for flat uh, sound signature and at this price point the offerings from hi-fi man sennheiser audis or even say an audio technica will blow the sony's out of the water when it comes to sound quality um, again to get the facts right these headphones are revered for their active noise cancellation capabilities and not essentially their audio processing prowess so they aren't meant to compete with full-blown open back headphones um, no doubt that they are a great pair of headphones, but it's just that they have come out at a time when the relevance is utterly reduced. Um, it's just unfortunate timing, but a fantastic device nevertheless. Google recently launched the Pixel 4a, their budget-friendly variant of their flagship Pixel 4. Uh, the device finally made its debut and it received good hands-on reviews from the technology community. Uh, the device offers the best bang for buck with a $349 price tag and offers a great camera, a clean Android experience and some exclusive features that are meant for the Pixel line. Uh, now, as per a report, it appears that the device has received a welcome response from buyers during the pre-order phase. Uh, the report goes on to say that the Pixel 4a is supposedly the best-selling smartphone on Best Buy, sitting above the extremely successful uh, iPhone SE 2020. Uh, over at Amazon, the uh, Pixel 4a is currently the second best-selling unlocked smartphone available. Um, again, just to recap, the Pixel 4a comes with a 5.81-inch Full HD Plus display with a clean punch hole design and a uniformly slim bezels on all sides. Uh, under the hood, you'll find the Snapdragon 8730G silicon paired with 6GB of RAM. Uh, it features a single optically stabilized 12.2 megapixel camera, while an 8 megapixel camera will take care of selfies and video calls. Um, again, I'm not really surprised with the Pixel, A's, uh, Pixel 4a's success. If the iPhone SE validated my belief that the smartphones don't need to cost $1,000 to be good, the Pixel 4a uh, says that the rule holds good in Android land as well. And what makes the Pixel unique is at that price point, it will dethrone all smartphone cameras by a mile. Um, add to that Google software support for at least three years, this device is an absolute steal. More so in the US where the OnePlus Nord isn't sold, the Pixel 4a makes it a unanimous choice for anybody looking to uh, pick a budget Android device that comes with good cameras and gets assured software support for over three years. Um, I mean, if, if the iPhone SE and the Pixel 4a are any indication, this is the segment that a vast majority of audience are interested in. Um, brands really need to prioritize in this segment rather than restricting the feature set of these devices to their bare bones um, in the fear of cannibalizing their exorbitantly priced flagships. Uh, 
I'm 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 really excited by what's happening in this segment rather than the flagship segment purely because this segment seems to push boundaries like no other. I mean, uh, when the iPhone SE 2020 was launched with the A14 Bionic chipset, people really went berserk. I mean, how could a budget offering have a flagship system on chip? I mean, that's the kind of disruption this industry needs. Um, with iPhone SE and uh, the Pixel 4a and and uh, the OnePlus Nord, it it pretty much looks like a three-horse race as of date, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of brands working on their budget offerings, more so to spoil the party for Apple, Google, and OnePlus rather than capitalizing on the opportunity in this underserved segment. So last week there was a report that said uh, Qualcomm is going to get a majority of its Snapdragon 875 flagship chipset manufactured by TMSC. Um, to just recap, Samsung was expected to start mass production of the 5 nanometer Snapdragon 875 chipset from the second quarter of 2020, but due to the pandemic and associated challenges, um, doesn't seem to have been the case. Uh, the report goes on to say that Samsung may have lost some of Qualcomm's 5 nanometer Snapdragon 875G chipsets as well as Snapdragon 735G uh, chips to um, TMSC. So the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Corporation or TMSC uh, is currently producing around 60,000 chipsets per month and uh, has the capacity to really uh, pick up the speed of delivery to about 90,000 units to deal with the demand. So Qualcomm may have decided to split its order in order to avoid a possible delay the launch of the new chipsets. But the gist is Samsung uh, will still end up making few of those new processors, but they would only be uh, manufacturing a very small fraction of the total orders. Um, that Qualcomm would have initially promised to Samsung, which could translate to massive potential losses uh, for the South Korean behemoth. So uh, this news comes out at a very interesting time wherein uh, there have been reports in the past that Qualcomm is looking to move away from Samsung, considering uh, the Qualcomm chips compete with Samsung's Exynos chips. Um, the partnership between Samsung and Qualcomm is a pretty tricky one. Samsung has mastered the manufacturing process for chips um, with great efficiencies and Qualcomm doesn't have a choice but to depend on Samsung. Also, Samsung is an important partner for Qualcomm since the flagship smartphones sold in North America, China and South Korea are equipped with Qualcomm chipsets and Samsung sells the most number of smartphones worldwide, meaning Qualcomm's success in some ways is dependent on how well Samsung is able to sell its devices. Uh, but at the same time, Qualcomm doesn't want Samsung to understand um, the Snapchat, Snapdragon chips that well um, that it can incorporate elements into its Exynos chipset with whom it competes in the global market. Um, there was a similar uh, approach that Apple had taken in the past where they wanted to reduce their dependencies on Samsung. Um, and uh, in the case of Apple, they were dependent on Samsung for the smartphone displays. And Apple has in the past tried working with LG, Sharp and other manufacturers. In fact, recently they tried to work with BOE displays for the iPhone 12. But Samsung's quality and efficiency rates are so high that Apple isn't able to switch without compromising on quality, which the Cupertino giant isn't willing to risk at this point in time. 
Um, in case of the Snapdragon 875, it'll be interesting to see if TMSC can actually compete with Samsung on the scale and efficiency. Um, Samsung has a tremendous bargaining power in this case and hence if they are able to actually iron out these constraints, it could easily arm twist Qualcomm into honoring their previous order volumes. So there was this news recently that Microsoft was looking to acquire TikTok and it was reported that the US government has passed an order to block transactions with ByteDance, the holding company of TikTok, if the platform is not sold within 45 days and Microsoft was the front runner. In fact, Microsoft actually confirmed that it is in talks to buy the US business of TikTok but Again, there were recent reports which emerged saying that it was not just the US business but the entire global business of TikTok which includes operations in India and Europe where they have a vast majority of their audience outside China. Um, in, in terms of the valuation itself, um, it's apparently at about 50 billion which would mean uh, that Microsoft could end up paying twice the price they paid for LinkedIn and over seven times of what they paid Nokia. Um, and if I remember correctly, they paid about 26 billion to acquire LinkedIn and about 7.6 billion to acquire Nokia's handset division. And of course, who'll forget Microsoft's acquisition of Skype for 8.5 billion in the year 2011. So uh, when I look at this news, uh, again, I'm personally not a big fan of this potential acquisition. Because if, if you look at the success of Microsoft, it's mostly been on the enterprise side of things. Um, and it would seem like there is no need uh, to persist venturing into the consumer business. And if history is any indication, there are more reasons to believe that this acquisition may not go down all that well, at least in the short run. And... If you take a look at Microsoft's ventures in the consumer business, the only success that I can distinctly remember is that of Xbox and um, the recently announced results also seem to indicate that the business is doing well. Uh, but, but let's not forget that this is after struggling to compete with the likes of Sony for several years and even today they hold one third of the market share in the fiercely contested duopoly console market. So. It's, it's not all that great and of course in the same earnings call uh, we could see that Microsoft's commercial cloud business hitting over 50 billion USD in annual revenue so the enterprise business is indeed their bread and butter. Um, also I'm not, a, not able to see how the TikTok acquisition fits into the entire Microsoft portfolio because when they acquired LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn uh, could fit pretty well as a part of their entire enterprise-centric business and add to that that was potentially the best opportunity to own a social media platform with over 400 million users and at the time of acquisition they had over 2 million in paid subscribers and if I remember this was in 2017. Uh, while LinkedIn is doing reasonably well with of course a temporary tip due to the COVID-19 Microsoft is far from recouping a fraction of its $26 billion uh, invested as a part of the acquisition. So uh, again, I, who could forget Nokia um, and Microsoft had to write off about $7.6 billion that they paid to acquire the handset division. Again, something that never went right for them. And 
I think th- these are two examples of uh, Microsoft having its its bad share of acquisitions. Again, I've not even mentioned the acquisition of Skype, for instance, which was acquired in 2011. Um, ironically, it was the same year that Zoom was founded. And fast forward to today, Zoom is by far the biggest beneficiary. And in fact, Microsoft themselves push Teams as against Skype as a first choice for video conferencing. And the fun fact is Skype was uh, the main way uh, that consumers actually talk to uh, one another over the internet with video calls making up about 40% of all Skype usage back in 2011. So Microsoft hasn't had a great track record of acquisitions and it and therefore it makes onlookers question Microsoft's rationale behind uh, this this potential acquisition of TikTok and now at an estimated 50 plus billion dollars in valuations it may seem that Microsoft is investing for the future but being an enterprise company I mean I'm not sure how this acquisition is really going to help uh, the only potential reason could be that they're also in the ad business and uh, knowing the ad business pretty well, they could use TikTok to boost ad revenues. But I'm still not able to fully comprehend the rationale behind the acquisition, especially looking at the unreasonable valuation of TikTok. Uh, but with TikTok's survival under threat, Microsoft may end up pocketing a very sweet deal that could be at a fraction of its original valuation. But even then, uh, it would still be interesting to see how uh, the world's second most valuable company goes about making money from TikTok. So that's all the news we had planned for the third episode of the Tech Talk Weekly. Please do share your thoughts on the podcast. Your feedback definitely helps refine our content. We'll continue to work towards bringing all the exciting technology news and our views in a concise 30-minute format. Thanks for taking the time and listening to the Tech Talk Weekly. Until the next one, stay excited.